We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're looking at the Battlestar Galactica episode, War of the Gods. Silver Spar Squadron are buzzed by strange super speed lights in space and then go missing. Apollo, Starbuck, and Sheba investigate a nearby planet for clues and discover a gigantic destroyed spacecraft. And Count Ebley, a seeming survivor, returning him to the fleet. Ebley is evasive and is having a seductive effect on the fleet. As he promises and delivers on more and more things, the fleet is poised to elect him as their new leader. One of his miracles is deliverance of Baltar, who does, indeed, turn himself in. He recognizes Ebley's voice as that of the Cylon Imperious leader, and Ebley seems to acknowledge him as an old friend. When Starbuck and Apollo investigate the crash again, they discover something terrible. As they're about to show it to Sheba, Ebley forbids it, and in a contest of free will, Apollo is killed. Ebley disappears. Returning Apollo's body to the Galactica, Starbuck and Sheba are picked up by the lights, which are revealed to be space angels, and they restore Apollo to life and return them to the fleet with a gift, the course to Earth. So, War of the Gods, epic two-parter. Patrick McNee is Count Ebley. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Wow. Um, <laughs> I was dreading this episode so much. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, and I think part of the reason is that part one of this story really leads you down a very unusual garden path about okay. who Ibley is. And then in part two, they completely do this this shift and reveal that he's he's essentially Satan. Okay. What garden path are they leading you down at the in part one? That it's Commander Kane in an android body. Wow. I never got that. You know, you know, here's the thing. When I was in high school and this episode first aired, I mean, we, all of us could not wait to get back together, all the buddies, you know, and you just start kind of sharing. That's the common consensus. We all thought it was Kane. Well, I can, I can see, um, I can kind of see it in retrospect. There's the, the weird... The weird detour into Android Land. There is that, and then there's the other thing where they fir- when they of- first see the sh- when they first see the crashed ship. Yeah. Apollo makes the observation. It's the it's like size the size a- of a battle star. battle star. And and also there's the whole sequence where Sheba is comparing uh, Ebly to her father. Mm-hmm. There's uh, a, and, apart and, from and, the, and, you know apart from the where he's mashing on her, but I know that part. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I had kind of like constructed this theory uh, when I first saw it, and a lot of my friends agreed with me that this was uh, Ibley's mind somehow moved into an android body, and now he's like bonkers, just Earth. nuts. Bonkers. More bonkers More than he bonkers was before. More than normal. <laughs> More I mean, bonkers. But, but now he's just really, you know, off his rocker in a big way. So when all of a sudden it turns out that, oh, these are angels, he's the devil. Wow. I mean, I have never, ever ever been a fan of the idea of uh, some kind of theology or doctrine actually becoming an integral part 
of um, of a science fiction story. I don't have a problem about people's beliefs somehow being in there because then you, then you have a situation where you can kind of maybe you know tell a parable or or, or tell some some kind of a story. You know, you know, Star Trek did that a couple of times, but where religious the the religion itself is the essence of the science fiction now i've got a problem i i've never liked the combination of the two okay so you said you were dreading the story coming into it yeah because i remembered that well it's 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 it is drawing upon a lot of mormon theology right and it is written by glenn larson Mm -hmm. and there's even a couple of lines um that uh, actually, one specific line that happens uh, in part two, one of the angels, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> one of the angels <laughs> says to Starbuck, uh, is, I can't remember if it's Starbuck or it's Apollo now after Apollo's resurrected. Um, but they say, as you are, are now, now, we once, once were. were, as we are now, you may become. become. That is a line right out of Mormon scripture. Oh, I guess it is, isn't it? I mean, I'm not. I'm. It's been a long time since I read the, the Book of Mormon, but yeah, it's not in the I Book of Mormon. It, it's not in the book, but I'm no. The, it, it's the, in the Pearl of Great Price. It's that whole. It's that whole. Um, it's it's yeah. It's moving part, on plane. Yeah, thing. it's yeah. it's all about um, uh, eternal evolution or or eternal progression and how the the Mormons believe that at a certain point we will all be resurrected, and those that are the most devout, faithful, holiest, and, and go through all the proper uh, covenants that the Church offers, they have the opportunity of evolving into something like God. Yeah, all right. I can, uh, I can see that in a... In a in a context, I don't take it that way, but I, it's absolutely, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I took it a little more literally, um, the other way around. So in other words, working on the assumption that Mormon theology is postulating God, mm-hmm. um, and that you will become gods, this is the science fiction angle of it that anything sufficiently advanced is like magic or like godhood. To mm-hmm. us. So you know they're taking it the naturalistic view well, as they're, opposed yeah, they're, to they're, the spiritual yeah. elevation, right? Rule. Yeah, but there's and, a lot and, of talk about the soul in this, <laughs> right? Story. And 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 I, I see what you're saying, and 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 on that aspect, yeah, I can see where you would um, come to that. Uh, I think the reason it really uh, just kind of pushes buttons with me is a uh, when I first saw it, uh, I, I was only 17 years old, and I I found the idea. A little repulsive, hmm. uh, and then now to watch it again after having been a member of the Mormon Church and then having left it for my own personal reasons, I take a look at that again and I still say, "Ick." Hmm. Fascinating. I, I would have probably put this as the most interesting episode of the entire series uh, to me. Okay, it, it's, if, it's you put, deeper, if you put. Yeah, if you put uh, quotes around the word interesting, I would agree with you. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I find that it, I think we've had this discussion before, right? I don't, I, I like a story that, I like a story that has, you know, that's tied up. And this one is not, but in the way that it's not tied up, it doesn't bother me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't really get 
a lot of answers. We get a lot more questions raised. It would have been a lot better story-wise, maybe not theology-wise, but story-wise, if Count Ebley returns, spoilers, he doesn't, um, before the show is canceled, and we get more... Well, it didn't, Ebley doesn't even have to necessarily show up. It, it could have been revealed in other ways. But there are just... The, I guess the... Well, okay. The whole thing with the Cylons just mm-hmm. fascinates me. That was interesting. That that just fascinates me. The, the, the implication here is that the Cylons made the same deal with the devil. And Basically. their destruction was brought about because of it. Yeah. The machines did it. And that's just, you know... That one is that I would love that to be explored. I, I mm-hmm. that I would love to see that story. I dare say happened. there was prop there was probably a plan to do it. I'm sure at the time when this episode was being written and they were get, and they were beginning to film it, uh, I am positive that there was still the possibility of a second season. I'm sure Glenn Larson thought that. So. Or even a whole season. <laughs> well, well, but you know what I mean. I mean another yeah. year's worth of episodes, right? By which they could then further explore. Because I, I am convinced that that was just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we, you know, not to jump the stream a little bit, but we will get a little bit of a glimpse into these angelic beings one oh, more yeah. time. One more time. Right. So I'm sure that there was somewhere the idea that. They were going to explore more of that uh, oh, this of, of Ibley because I mean he because he did make the promise that he would see them again and that was more than just a smoking gun in my opinion. Oh yeah, and there's also the the uh, what does he say to Baltar? Um, don't uh, oh yeah, don't lose hope, old friend, mm-hmm. something like right. that. Um, you know he clearly has a plan for Baltar, but that one raises another fascinating point to me. So. To, to set this in context, just in the odd case that you haven't watched the episode and you don't get it from my from my description, Abley has the power to hold sway over people, but they must give it willingly of their free choice. Right. And uh, Sheba and many of the fleet start, um, you know, turning themselves over to Abley, and he begins to have more and more power over them. And Adama postulates that Ibli has no power over anyone, as does Apollo, unless they give it to him. This mm-hmm. is the, the rule of, of the powers that be. The- and that's, that, that's the whole idea of free agency. Uh, and that, again, that, that sort of loosely ties in with Mormon theology as well. Could he have made Apollo get down on his knees? Physically forced him? Yeah. Probably. See, now that's my question. Can he only force people to do things that he has dominion over? He had to he had to kind of sway Boomer to get Boomer to win the game. He's the only person we actually see him take a physical action on is Baltar. He makes Baltar turn himself in and he makes Baltar kneel, implying to me that Baltar has already given him dominion, yet he's oh, I never see met him. Okay, actually okay, I, you know what? I I'm gonna I'm gonna change my, my opinion and say, yes, you're right. Um, to, to an extent, uh, yes, in the case, like you said, with Baltar, I, he can have physical sway over anybody. I, actually, I'll, I'll say this. He can have physical sway over anybody, period. But if it's a somebody who does not give themselves over willingly, there is a price. Okay. 
that right, he maybe, has to maybe pay. Maybe that's it. Okay. All right, that, that could be. Ibley has to play because he does that to Apollo. He, he kills he, Apollo. He shot a lightning bolt at Apollo. So, I, I, and I, right? I mean, how, I guess the question is this. When Baltar decides suddenly that he's going to turn himself over to the fleet, that's a mind whammy. Would you agree? I mean, yeah. that's not, I mean, that seems oh, to be like well, he got he, into his brain. Well, it, it, especially the way he says it to Lucifer. Yeah. I mean, he, he almost behaves like, as you said, he had a mind whammy. There's just something very different in the way John Colicos delivers that line, as opposed and, to everything we've seen prior to that. And so then we have the other end of it, which is the kneeling, which could be one of two things. It could be a telekinetic force that he is forcing him down, mm-hmm. or it could be the mind whammy. <laughs> Only this time Baltar's fighting it. If it's the mind whammy, then yes, the only reason uh, Ibley could get away with doing that is because Baltar gave himself over willingly okay. at some point. So we did see Ibley uh, drag the candelabra across the table or whatever the heck the thing was. Mm. And so what if he could fling that across the room and hit Apollo and kill him, which is basically what the lightning bolt did. I think that's where he loses his, that's where he's out of his game. The reason I ask it is that Baltar has never met Ibley. Baltar has never willingly given himself to Ibley, but he has given himself willingly to the imperious leader, basically. Mm -hmm. He has made the deal with a different devil, but that devil is either an agent of Ibley or is Ibley inside the Imperia's leader? That, that's the great question. Uh, and I have pondered that for a long, long time. And I mean, I pondered that for years. Yeah, pondered it for yarns. Um, and after watching it this last time, there was a, a line that stuck out more so than in previous times. I mean, I've heard it before, but this time it, it had more resonance. And that is, and, and I, I'm going to misquote it terribly, but that's when Ibley says that in order, you know, Baltar says, you know, I've heard that voice as the imperious leader. And and Ibley says, well, if, you know, that's the case, you know, I had to have been around there, you know, and my voice would have to have been transcribed yeah. over to the imperious leader, suggesting that somehow... Uh, an essence of Ibli was given over to the programming. I mean, y- yeah, there's there's a, a bit of a uh, it's it's a bit vague, and it does beg the question: What is this bizarre relationship that exists now between Ibli and the Cylons? Clearly, there is one, and we're just getting only the tiniest hint of it. Yeah, yeah, and and which then plays into question. You know, it then begs the question. Does that carry over and have an effect on Baltar since Baltar then made the deal with the Cylons? I mean, how does that contract work, shall we say? Hmm. I don't know. I really wish I did. I do too. You know, and, it, it is, you know, it's, this there is, is the, a book. I was going to say, there is a book that Richard Hatch wrote called Armageddon that mm-hmm. talks about um, uh, the entire uh, Battlestar Galactica saga. And there might be something in there about that. Okay. So trying to put aside... Anything that you may have seen outside of the show. Okay, I know that may be hard. What was in the wreckage that I have no idea. Literally, I and that is that has bugged me. You know, what did they see? What was it that Apollo and Starbucks saw that told them, oh my god, this is the devil? I have I no idea. That, did that tell them it was the devil or did it Yes, it did because of the other names. Uh, Apollo says, "You've you know th- you know, think of the ancient text." He's and then he said Mephistopheles. 
He said Mephistopheles, Diablo, and Mephistopheles, the Prince of Darkness. Yeah, these are all titles for Satan. Right. Well, I mean, it's the way he, I mean, he said he, he finally figured it out. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't actually get that he figured it out from looking inside the ship, but. I did. Maybe. maybe. I, th- I, that's what I got. There. So here's I, the that, funny that, thing. <coughs> I think what they saw in there was colonial warriors. Well, that's what I was wondering, you know, but from the but what condition, that's yeah, a possibility. But, uh, you know, then, then there's the lie then that the devil tells Sheba that she'll see her father again. I, uh, you know, again, maybe, maybe no. the body of Cain is dead. So you know, the Mormons also, uh, when, when they talk about evil and how it deceives, they always say the devil will tell you um, nine lies but, you know, tie it up with like one truth. No, no, it's nine truths with one lie. Mm. So, and that's how he grabs you. He also so says maybe that death is not the end. So if Cain is, is dead, true. Sheba so, will be dead and they will meet again. Right. So he really could be playing, you know, with a lot of semantics here in terms of uh, what the whole idea of her meeting uh, Cain again. And that would... What, what that could possibly mean. That would lead us to believe that if... Uh, if his dominion continues after quote unquote death, such as oh hell, that means he knows Cain's already there, right? But no, but still, coming back to the ship and the wreckage, I still kind of get this funny feeling that there was something else, something more telltale inside there that really made Apollo and Starbucks' eyes just pop out of their heads and say, "Oh my God." I really know who this guy is now. Okay. There's just one thing that that always comes back to me on that. Why was there an immediate reaction to protect Sheba from it? I mean, if it was, if, if for example, that there's little guys with red suits and tails and horns lying dead in that room or in that, that wreckage, your first reaction wouldn't be to shield Sheba. And that's exactly what they did. They both run over there and like, we can't let her see this. That's Which would true. make me think it's Cain, not just a warrior. It's freaking Cain, but but that can't possibly be. But anyway, but and then and then it's Starbuck. It's like no, no, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe she should. Maybe she should see this. The truth. It's bad. Uh, so I mean, it it it. I mean, they lead you to it. It's as big as a battle star. We <laughs> Cain is. You'll see Cain again. It all sounds like Cain and his people followed Ibli and met the end that. All who follow Satan goes, but we don't get that, and we won't get that. And I can't believe that at some point along the way, if that were true, that Apollo wouldn't tell Adama. It's like it was the Pegasus, right? Right. So I mean, that's fine. Now I happen to know that Glenn Larson novelized this some time later. Yeah. Yes, he did. Uh, I he only, said they only were li- looked through it briefly. They I, were I like goblins or something. Is that what they were? Yeah, they were they were little goblin-y looking things or something like that. They, Which they were would, weird aliens, but why would you shield Sheba from that? I, I don't know. Uh, a battle-hardened warrior. I mean, it's not like the cut-up bodies are going to bugger. That's you know? true. I, it just And it's so much more interesting if it is Cain. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is, but the other the, then I have a problem with the whole thing with how that episode ended because I kept getting the feeling that we were going to see Cain again. I Alive too, and well. Which could be why we don't get any explanation one way or the other. It decides which guest star is going to come back, Patrick McNee or or Kane. They just leave it open just in case. 
just in case we want to do something. I mean, you know how writers are, but I mean, it, I it, know, it, but I, I wouldn't have been surprised if at some point we would have seen Adama and Kane together working opposite Ibley. I mean, who knows what Larson had, you know, what, what his pipe dream was yeah. in order, you know, to tell this entire story. I, 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 I'm, I'm not exactly his biggest fan, but I am decidedly curious as to where was he originally looking at taking this? You know, I, I would like to see some descriptive storylines uh, or plot ideas that he had for a continuation of this. Yeah, yeah, I really would, because this is... <sighs> Like I say, if if they spent some time on this in further episodes, I wouldn't have too many problems with it. As long as, you know, you can't go with it too far. Eventually, you reveal too much of the mystery and you... Yeah, it's no longer you, a mystery. You take it away, right? Right. You, you eventually... You demystify. Like ancient aliens, you know, made the pyramids and there you go. And they weren't gods and... I mean that was very big and in vogue at the time of this show. So oh yeah, yeah. Let, let's let's revisit the whole Von Donigan thing. So here's my question for you: As you say, when you were 17 and you watched this, it bothered you, right? You it, didn't well, like it, what it they were felt, doing in the theology. It felt cheap. To, it felt really cheap. When I mean, oh, you mean he's Ibley is the devil? I mean, to me, that just felt like at the time, and, and I couldn't. I couldn't properly express what it was about it that bothered me. Uh, it felt like a really easy way out. It felt like an insulting way out because I was looking for something that was more intellectually based. And instead, the way Apollo throws it out there, it is really theological. Mm. Now, had they done some, I mean, now there have been other science fiction shows that have addressed the concept of the devil but have done it in a more alien context to say this is how our mythology of the devil came to be because of aliens like this. That would have been fine. I would have been okay with that. But for Apollo to come right out and say Mephistopheles, you know, uh, the Prince of Darkness, I'm like, oh, really? Well, you had we, to take that kind of a shortcut. But we already have Lucifer as one of the Cylons. So, I mean, the mythology of the devil clearly exists in... In the Galactica universe. Yeah, but the idea, well, true. But the idea of just naming a robot, a very sophisticated piece of machinery, um, the name of the fallen angel, I thought was interesting, but. Assuming he is a robot. Well, he's some kind, he's, he's an advanced model. He did admit it. Lucifer did admit it in a previous Oh, oh episode. Lucifer. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're talking about Lucifer. Lucifer. Not I'm, I'm not talking about Ibley. I'm talking about <laughs> Lucifer. No, I'm talking about Lucifer. Uh, it, Lucifer is, you know, he's just a, a very advanced a model of Cylon machine that was given the name of a fallen angel. So now, so, so that's one thing. I, I don't have a problem with Lucifer per se. Ibley, on the other hand, to actually say, oh no, he's not who he says he is. He is this. He he is um, the religious biblical enemy, you know, and I thought, oh. Is Ibley that, a name from any of that? No. Uh, no. I, 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 in fact, actually, it's, you know, it's a f- interesting you should, mention that um okay um i just looked it up it it does mean devil uh it's uh it's islamic okay i was wondering i didn't have the chance prior to this episode to check when when they laser on him um his face turns into what is clearly some sort of statue yeah okay it's probably not meant to be a statue but it's clearly they've 
taken a negative image of some idol somewhere that they found in a jungle or something. Right. Did you recognize it? No, I not meant to look not for exactly. that, but I just didn't get the chance and to do that's it. that that was interesting be um <coughs> excuse me, because uh that also flies in the face of Mormon theology because Mormons believe that the devil is actually very beautiful and gorgeous and that's how he he's able to deceive and you know when we're looking at Ibley in his Patrick McNee form I suppose he looks Britishly charming so I suppose that's a possibility um, as I google Ibley there is an image that does pop up which it could have been um, it's of the the shaitan and it's possible that might have been altered a little bit to kind of more fit in um and, and, and i'm also seeing this um in islamic tradition ibli is often identified with al shaitan the devil so maybe it's just more like a demon mm. because here it all i read something else that says ibli was a genie or genie a creature made of smokeless fire by god while like humans are made of clay Ooh, that's very mythological. Hmm. And yeah. that uh, it, this, this it's it's Islamic, yeah. Uh, and in an outburst rooted in envy, Ibli disobeyed Allah and was expelled from divine grace. So Ibli is a fallen angel. Yeah. So he's just he's Ben um, Larson has just plucked he plucked a a, an, a a more obscure name in 1970s America for the yeah. devil as to lay it down so the clue was well, it there was cer- from the very beginning it was but it's as you're right i mean how many people were you know in uh, 1970s america how many people knew about muslim belief you know i'll i'll give larson a little bit of credit on that and in, in pulling that one you know out of his ear he probably hit the thesaurus he might have, or devil, an and then it came back. Oh, here we like go, that. Mephistopheles, Diablos. Uh. <laughs> ah, here's a name no one's heard before. Wait, we'll change Diablos to Diabloron, Diabloron, yeah. so it sounds galactic-ish. Uh, but we'll do, yeah, I'm, yeah, it's like so. One of the things I always thought was kind of I, I thought was interesting about this is mm, a lot of times when you have a story that postulates that gods are more advanced life forms, more mm-hmm. evolved life forms. A lot of times they like to concentrate on the gods, not the devil. So I, I would say it's probably 80-20 on that. You know, you have things like who mourns for Adonai, where you're looking at the gods is Apollo. Uh, but this is, I, this is interesting because they lead with the devil yeah. <laughs> in this story, and which is a much more interesting story, uh, you know. There have you're right. There are stories that have been done better. I can I can name one off the top of my head. Childhood's End. Oh yes, <laughs> like, you know. But right? you're talking Arthur C. Clarke here. The man right. was a genius. Right, right. But it, you know, it's uh, it's it's the same it's the same thing, except a little bit different because the devils aren't the bad guys in that, or are they the bad guys? They are. Yeah. The, mm. They are the end of our civilization, but uh, yeah. Clark leaves that a little bit ambiguous. You know, he wants the reader to come to their own conclusion, I suppose. I remember the dogs are all happy. Remember that? That when they finally revealed themselves, uh, the the Satan-like creature is talking. He's got like two dogs and they're just like, I'm happy. I've got my guy here. (laughs) I remember that. It's like, well, you know what they always say about dogs. You can tell. 
you can tell a good person it's a myth, obviously, because bad people have dogs that like them too. But um, you know, if my dog likes you, you're obviously a good person. <laughs> I I remember that so clearly from that story. Uh, it'd be funny if it's not actually in it. But I, I <laughs> the way the mind goes. Yeah. Um. Oh, I I, I want to point something out. Now I'm on IMDb. And I found something very interesting uh, to go back to the the point about what is it that Apollo and Starbucks saw in that ship. Now, I'm going to read this. Now, I, keep in mind, I watched this episode when it first aired, and I do not remember this. As did I, yeah. But it says, when this episode aired for the first time on television, it had a scene where Apollo, Starbuck, and Sheba went inside the crashed ship on the planet. They saw the bodies of the ship occupants, and they were in the form of devils or demons. This scene was removed due to the religious implications, and only the audio was aired while the video showed static. Rerun airings have the scene edited out entirely. I do not remember that. I I don't believe that's correct. I don't believe it's correct either. That would be... That would be very well documented. Um, right. And I and did, I, I don't believe it. And it would be in the script. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, I I think somebody's having a... Well, no, wait a minute. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Wait a minute. Yeah, no, there's no way they could have done it. Obviously, you and I would have been getting the West Coast showing. Right. Which is actually a separate showing. Correct. Right? So they, they... It's not a just separate a... Separate feed. Separate feed, which goes out after the East Coast feed. So... Huh. I mean, it's possible that it went on the East Coast and it didn't go on the West Coast. It's possible. I would have but liked I to have seen it. Did I have at least? And no, no way am I going to say that it's. You know how can I how can I judge? But there have been books written on this and on Galactica, and I've been over the stuff on this episode, and that's not in them. So where the heck did that come from out of IMDb? Right. That's what I want to know too. Um, so I don't know, but definitely in the book, something like that happens. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. In the book that was the novelization that was done later. That's absolutely what happens. And you could imply that's what Glenn Larson had intended all along. And yet it just doesn't make sense doing it that way. I mean, they must, I, I, why would you, anyway, I uh, a couple things, let's, let's avoiding the, the, <clears throat> the deeper Issues of alien transcendence and, and, and the cool stuff on the story. Um, so, Silver Spar Star- Squadron still exists. Uh, in this episode, they do. They called it by name. Bojay and Jolly were both in Silver Spar Squadron, mm-hmm. uh, which was five ships in all the pictures, but was four ships when it was captured. And throughout the rest of the story, they kept saying four ships or four pilots gone. Then Red Squadron went, which I believe was also five ships. And they called them four pilots. <laughs> so they moved mm. it up to eight. Then Boomer got taken. And they still called it eight pilots missing. It's like, like could they at least have tried <laughs> to get that straight? And when they, and I'm, and I'm, I'm mad. I'm pleased and I'm mad at Red Squadron. Who was in Red Squadron? Okay. Oh. Apart from Green, uh, Green Bean. I think it's Green Bean. And. Yeah. Bree. Right. The girl. Yes. From one of the one of the Viper pilots we trained all the way back then, the women pilots, is still Brie. a Viper yep. pilot. She's still there. She's still there. In the end credit, it's Girl Warrior. Oh boy. They even called her by name in the episode, but she got to be Girl Warrior. Hmm. That's just wrong. I wanted to know how to spell Brie. B R I E? 
<laughs> I believe it was B-R-E-E. Okay, so here's another weird one. They go to Dr. Salik, and they say, well, you know, how did you, you know, didn't you run some scans on him? And said, no, they kept coming back with broken scanners. So I sent Cassiopeia to work on him. <laughs> I don't know what they're implying that Cassiopeia did, um, mm. but, um, you know, she's got the training. <laughs> Send in the troops. Right. But um, that should have that should have tipped you off if it was Kane, actually, come to think of it. That had been possibly probably would have been spent more time with her. But anyway, um, and they say, well, could he be an android? Which, like I say, is really a when when Apollo says it, that's just off the wall, right? I mean, to me, that's just out of left field coming in. It's like, could he be an android? What? Well, you know, our our study of androids is quite advanced, but you should go talk to Doctor Wilker, the expert in androids, and they go to Wilker's android lab. And they have androids there. Yeah. They have, well, they have formed android bits and faces and bodies and stuff in that, in that room. And I'm like, why? Don't they have laws against that? They told us that earlier in the series. So they would never be like the Cylons. Mm-hmm. And the best they could do was Muffet. <laughs> uh. Right? It's, and, and, and if that isn't bad enough. And I'm just like, wait a minute, this this flies in the face of everything we know about them. Suddenly now Wilker is the agro science guy. Yeah, I noticed that too. Think, well, I guess we couldn't afford to pay him extra lines. I <laughs> a different two actors. I just I couldn't quite figure out what they were going with that. I did think it was interesting that they had they had um an, another one of maybe the very stereotype, but we'll put it there. The plants bloom on the agro ship. Dr. Wilker is there. Apollo's there. I think Apollo's there. Yeah, Apollo's there. And and the uh, the guy who tends the plants is there, right? And Wilker, the scientist's first response is, well, obviously something um, outward. What was the phrase he used? Um, well, he basically said something something has happened uh, here, external. And and then the agro ship guy goes, I'll tell you what it is. It's a miracle. And I'm asking right. myself, is that is that education, science, and training versus farmers and the, the good people of the earth? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I got that same feeling. Well, <laughs> it's a little it's a little the, the other thing I think is probably my my biggest complaint about this episode is that those people are just way too willing to follow Ebly. Well, yeah, so, okay, you double the, my the, food, I'll follow you anywhere. Well, in the case of those people, I, I, and I agree with you, I found it just a little bit too convenient that they were willing to just, you know, jump ship, metaphorically speaking, and start following Ibley like that. I, I found it irritating, to be honest, but I think the way Larson was trying to paint that picture, that they here here's a group of people that are starving. You know, and if you think back to, say, for example, you know, uh, like 1930s or 1940s uh, Dust Bowl area, you know, or, uh, you know, any any place in the Midwest that or farmlands that were suffering from drought, and all of a sudden somebody comes, you know, like a rainmaker comes walking in there, you know, and then people will just lob money at that person or follow them. If they think that this person can deliver them out of their immediate plight. There and that's what Ibley did. There is a line somewhere that that's something about people are always looking for something to believe in. Yeah. 
in the course of the episode. It, it it's uh yeah darn I I wish okay here here's the other thing that that I, again you know the, the obviously the theology thing appeals to me in a way because uh, as a, as a non-believer as a as a rationalist I like I like to. <coughs> make sense of the universe and and the things and go okay well right. you know, all right this did not just so it it fascinates me but it fascinates me um to an idea that i've just completely zonged out of my head um <laughs> oh no i know where i was going oh thank goodness what i was going to say is this is the first episode that they've kind of tried to be science fictiony in a way there are some there are some deeper ideas here than then, hey, we're going to a planet where it's cowboys, or mm. hey, we're going to a planet where they're living in a prison for 400 years, or right. uh, the, 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 the Kane episode, the Living Legend, uh, and this one are probably the two episodes that give us the, the it's not as much science fiction in the Kane episode, but you know, they are deeper episodes. There is, there is something to bite into and There is and some thought on. there. I mean, it's... it's um... If, if we're going to give it, you know, science fiction substance, like what you might see in something good like Star Trek, um, then yeah, I, I would say that there is something there. I mean, there's some there's some really interesting philosophical ideas that are being posed here in that respect. Um, and and, and I, I will be the first to admit that I think that my dislike of this episode is purely subjective and is a knee-jerk reaction to, you know, personal stuff. Yeah. Um, because as I, you know, as we've been conversing, I've been looking at, um, commentary and, and comments from a number of people who've watched the episode, uh, uh, you know, they've left their, uh, their comments on different places on the web and everybody loves this story. Would you, I know you said you found it cheap and cheesy that it's the devil. Would you take that there is any aspect of it to you that might have been sacrilegious, blasphemous? Maybe when you say it's cheapening it, 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 and the reason I ask that question is it's not I'm trying to, to pigeonhole you there. I have a I have a question about Glenn Larson, who, to my understanding, was a devout man. Yes, he is. Oh, was I don't know if he's still alive or not. I have no idea. I think he is dead now. Um, is it? Could but you? But he was write, devout. Could you? Could you take your religion? Could you take the the things that you believe and turn them into a drama that? To some people would say trivializes it. Some people would say makes it not divine if you just say it's a bunch of evolved humans. Uh, I know you get a little more leeway there because of the Mormon theology, but that's the part that's kind of, I really would like to know what was going through his his mind. Well, I can, okay, so um, interestingly enough, when I was serving my mission for the Mormon church, I happened to step into a bookstore and there was a novel there was the novelization for mm-hmm. this episode so i'm leafing through it and saw you know i, I didn't buy it but I, I was just you know leafing through the pages and i wanted to get to that one section where the angels were there uh, and resurrected apollo and it did go into a bit more detail and i from a mormon standpoint and, and here's here's where i felt really conflicted um as uh, a, an active member of the church at that time I found the story very compelling, but there was this other part of me, the the sci-fi lover, that kept saying, but this is something they shouldn't have done. So in a very weird way, as a Mormon, I was not offended by it. As a fan of science fiction, 
I wouldn't say I was offended by it. I was more insulted by it. Hmm. Okay. And, 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 you know, the other question would be is if you, if you put this out there, if you were a devout Mormon and you wrote this story and again, as you say that there's that as... As we are, you may as we once, are now, uh, no, as, as 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 you, you are, are now, now we, once we once were. As we are now, we are you, now may you may become. If that is a, a tenet of the of the the, the faith, uh, a belief of the faith, could this be a recruitment? Uh, are you spreading I, the word of Mormon this way? Yes, I I think that was an attempt on his part, but it was so veiled that. I didn't see it. I know, although maybe in a maybe someone with more uh, sophistication might have picked it up because I was looking at it squarely, you know, through science fiction eyes. It never, and and maybe that's my fault. Maybe that's my limitation. Maybe I, maybe my vision wasn't big enough to be able to see a bigger picture that was being told. I was just looking strictly as this, as a science fiction uh, story. At least that was that was my idea of what the series was supposed to be. Although in retrospect, now I should have realized that was not the case because right after it premiered the series, um, I saw Lauren Green, um, <coughs> excuse me, Richard Hatch, Dirk Benedict, and uh, Mara Jensen all appear on the Dinah Shore talk show. <laughs> I know. It just happened. Well, and the and the one reason I, I I happened to glance and oh TV guide ooh they're gonna be on talking about the show I will watch and he started talking about this is the sixth millennium or blah 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 you know and and none of it made any sense yeah and but after having gone through uh you know the, my time with with the LDS church I was able to look back on that and say oh yeah these are all buzzwords. That the church uses. I just didn't have any clues to what they were talking about. Interesting. So if it is a recruitment technique, I wouldn't say that it's a very good one, but I wouldn't be surprised if it if it uh, so, had if it was meant to be one. So I mean, in in 1977 or 76 or whichever year this was, 77, 77, 77. No, excuse me, 78, 78, 78, okay, 78 even in 1978. No. Yeah, um, I would have not yet met a Mormon. <laughs> Um, I had, uh, I had, but obviously. I knew very little about them. Um, well, I, I, I wasn't, had, I wasn't active in the church at that time. I didn't join until after I graduated from high I, school. When I was, I, I have always been a, a, a base level non-believer, just from from the family of, mm-hmm. or at least from my dad's end of it, as a non-believer. And and in high school, so after this, because I started high school in 77, 78, 77, 78, something like that. Um, I went through a, a, a period of of a crisis of non-faith, if you will, um, because just overwhelmingly, you know, everyone that I went to school with, everyone that I, you know, associated with, uh, all believed some facet of this. Uh, not in Mormonism necessarily, but just religion of some kind. And so I spent a, 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 a ex- extensive period of time reading every major religious work that I could get hold of. Bible, mm-hmm. The Book of Mormon, the, the Quran, a translation, obviously, which, of course, is blasphemous. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the teachings of the Buddha and all these things right. so that I could, you know, am I wrong? Uh, you know, am I holding a position here that is not tenable, that, that everyone else sees something that I don't see? Um, 
What I don't remember is when I was doing that, I don't remember going through the Mormon stuff and going, whoa, Battlestar Galactica. But also when I was watching Battlestar Galactica, I would have had no frame of reference other than just the standard Christianity devil and well that was mine too Uh, that that was yeah that was exactly my frame of reference too i did not look at it with any kind of mormon idea it it never occurred to me when i first saw it i was looking at it strictly from a judeo-christian perspective when it was stated you know look at the ancient text you know uh you know Mephistopheles, Diabetes, blah, 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 blah. You know, from that point on now, as far as, you know, standard Christian frame of reference, that I knew. I was very familiar with that. Um, It never occurred to me that uh, Larson was actually going for a very specific LDS point of reference. Now, had I been a member of the church at that time and then saw this, it is very possible that my opinion would have been entirely different. And again, it would have been... you know, that's, I, I'm going to say, hmm, that's a good question. I'm going to say probably for the better, okay. because I think at that point, my, if I had been a member of the church from that age, I dare say that my thinking would have been seriously colored in favor of the faith, as opposed to the way I watched it this time. That's why when I saw the novelization and then leaped through it and then realized, oh, I see what Larson was trying to do. I still, I, now I had that conflict as, as a member of, of the church. I was able to say, oh, I see what he's doing now. That is interesting. But then I kept thinking back to, but I was not a member of the church. I was just a big sci-fi freak at the time. You know, and on that level, I found that it didn't work. Okay. So they, so it may, maybe that explains Glenn Larson then. He's putting, fa- he's putting the references in there so that he can get the exposure. That he's it's that very he's possible putting out there anyway. So they say never discuss religion or politics. Obviously, we've spent the whole time discussing religion. Um, so politics. Well, so no. Ebley had to pay a price. Yeah, okay? Count Ebley had to pay a price that they chose. Did they turn him into ugly old toad-faced Donald Trump? No, I'm going to say no. It's interesting <laughs> okay. you should say this because I, as it as it turns out, I found because that's the only a, explanation of their followers that I can think of. But well, anyway. there there is a fascinating. Wikipedia entry on Ibley, uh, and it's and uh, what I'm the Galactica one or the other one? Comic continuity. Okay. It was a comic series from '95 to '97. Okay. Now it doesn't say who wrote it, but it is. It seems to go in line with. It it, it feels very Larson esque, and there is uh, a section here where it talks about uh, for for Ibley's actions on board the Galactica. Count Ibley was most likely going to be punished again, but uh, Ibley escaped, hiding himself, quote unquote, amongst eternity, as he related to Count Baltar. And it, it then says that he reunited with the mechanical Cylons, at which point Ibley would then uh, wage aggression against the fleet. But he ran away. Hmm. So he was so he wasn't punished, but the price uh, was the un- that that he had to that was essentially he had to pay indirectly was the undoing of the damage he performed against Apollo. Now on that subject, going back to uh, the the topic we had about Ibley and his relationship to the Cylons, this you're going to find interesting. Uh, and who knows if this was actually going to be planned? But it said that uh, Ibley was the catalyst for the fall of the original organic Cylon race. 
he deceived the last organic imperious leader named Sobekta, or Sobek, being the crocodile god of ancient Egypt, into a deal with the promise of power akin to his own. But instead, the imperious leader found himself transformed into a half-cybernetic being. Enraged, the imperious leader swore revenge upon him, firing at Count Ibli while he vanished away, laughing cruelly. As a result, the succeeding imperious leader's voices all sound exactly like Ibli. Mm. But... He got caught. Ibli got caught and was arrested by his angelic brothers as punishment for his crimes against creation. He was forced into an uh, amnesiac, non-corporeal existence during which his essence would remain trapped within the pain-wracked lives of others. Whatever that's supposed to mean. I have no idea. But he would then later um, gain full remembrance of his identity. Um, He would then be freed and to, to tempt more people. At which point, that then takes us to this episode. So clearly other people have found the whole notion of Count Ivli and his relationship to the Cylons to be... A fascinating uh, one. A fascinating one. Yeah. 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 I I suppose they had no parallel to it in New Galactica, did they? No. no. The Cylons had a different religious angle. It it well yeah in fact the Cylons and, and to be honest um, the Cylons their their concept of God was more Judeo Christian than uh, those the colonies they were uh, uh, they they were into uh, polytheism mm. yeah all right well anyway I don't uh, I you know <clears throat> um, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode and I and I always feel when I get to War of the Gods that it's downhill from there and I'm. Not well, considering sure that's true, the next episode, yes. <laughs> what is, oh, is it The Man with Nine Lives? Yep. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, it's got Fred Astaire. <laughs> yeah. A non-dancing Fred Astaire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good point. Well, he was, yeah. There, he was there, done there that. Were reasons. There yeah, he, were he was reasons. too old for that at that point. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get the Tin Man doing that, the dancing instead later on. Oh, don't remind oh. me. <laughs> I just caught, I caught a glimpse of that episode, and I... Died a thousand deaths. Uh, a thousand small paper cut deaths. Oh, anyway. it was it was agony. Well, Ben, thanks for joining me. <laughs> oh, this was beyond fun. <laughs> and listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. <laughs>